What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Please hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel. Leave your comments and likes. You can also leave your comments and likes on Facebook and follow us on iTunes and Spotify. I'm Metal Dave, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. Today, we are going to slow things down a bit and talk about power ballads. Uh, they seem to be mandatory in the 1980s if you were a band trying to get on the radio. We're all familiar with some of the big hits from that era. But they existed before then and after then, and we'll talk about some of our favorites here in just a bit. But first, Jason, what's going on with you since we last spoke? Um, not a lot. Uh, hope everybody's doing good. I um, had breakfast with a bunch of friends, had breakfast with our producer jared and uh some old friends and it was it was awesome and like jared was kind of commenting a minute ago it was good to see uh some familiar faces uh sans mask i mean there were masks but we're, we're eating so right uh so that was kind of interesting and uh and kind of exciting just you know it's the little things right yeah yeah <laughs> right Let's <laughs> see what your friends really look like. Yeah. Um, and um, not a whole lot. I uh, was, you know, planning to finish up some more uh, writing for a project this week. So just more of the same. As you can know, I'm just uh, routine, working on music, working, period. Uh, you know, I, I'm a busy guy. Every, yeah. Those people who know me personally know I'm a busy guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, cool. What about, um, what about you? What's up with you? Well, uh, my son just acquired, uh, he just recently got, I don't know what you would call it. Uh, you can help me out here. It is the Metallica Ride the Lightning box, LP box set, I guess you would call it. Let's, let's call it a, yeah, I call those box sets, uh, but it's sort of like a, a an anniversary. I want to say those were almost like the, the uh, it, it was like a, a a bicentennial flag of approval or some kind of a, yeah, I don't know what they were. Yeah, I don't know what they was a reissue, a remastered celebratory reissue of the first four Metallica records or something like that. Yeah, and it, I have I have a friend who has the uh, uh, the Justice one. I have the Killa and the uh, Killa Mall and the uh, Lightning one, and Dash, your son, now has the Lightning one. Yeah, he's it. Yeah, that's it. It's a commemorative uh, box set of some sort with. But it uh, has CDs. It's got CDs and uh, multiple LPs as well, um, and then it comes with a lot of uh, little extras. There's a, a really cool hardcover book included and it's kind of like a picture book but it's also got some some storytelling in it and uh my son was uh really excited to see your name all over it um jason is included in the uh, ride the lightning uh picture book there's a handwritten note from james hetfield to jason uh it's, it's a four-page full it's four page letter it took james probably some time to write yeah that part it is it's like four pages spread across the book handwritten by james hetfield to to my co-host jason mcmaster and uh, i have that son. just just for the record i have that 
that letter hermetically sealed among other letters in a frame above on the wall above my office at my desk uh, with the, the kill them all tour set list. Yeah. He, um, he, it's a, it, it was a really nice package. It's really well done. I've only seen the one album, uh, the ride, the lightning version. That's my son's favorite, uh, album period. And definitely his favorite Metallica record. Um, so we were kind of enjoying last night, some of the live recordings that are part of this box set. They're recorded on LP. They're also included on CD, but we were enjoying the records last night. And it was really cool hearing some of those live performances from 84, 85, uh, 85 is the, is the year that I first saw Metallica on the ride, the lightning tour. So it's really cool to hear them play in that early stuff. Uh, they play it even faster than they play it on the studio recording. And the band just sounds really raw and hungry. And uh, it was kind of exciting to hear that stuff again, because if you were to go see Metallica in concert today, of course, they wouldn't be able to play uh, so much material from those early records. That's all they had at the time. So they were heavily dependent on those tracks. Uh, whereas today you'd have to hear stuff from Justice and the Black Album and all. And that's fine, but I really like the concentration on that 84, 85, 83 time period. So, uh, yeah, that kept us entertained last night. And the book is really cool. It, it was a bit pricey. I think my son paid 150 bucks for it. I think uh, that's the normal going. That's why I was uh, nervously asking what, you know, can I ask what he paid for that? I think that's what they were going for. Um, my submissions for the print uh, got me free copies because I was at some point I drank the punch and signed up for uh, the fan club stuff. So there's mass, uh, you know, um, you know, form emails that come by way of their whoever's running their their fan club. It's probably a bot of some kind yeah i mean it's hefty it's like you're dave's holding up the box it's hefty and i'm sure a lot of our people who listen and watch the show they 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 have those that's heavy dude yeah it's heavy <laughs> so so i got i got copies uh i got copies of the kill em all and the and the and the lightning because uh, i submitted uh the 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 form email was by way of Hey, we're doing this special thing coming up in about a year from now, and we're reaching out to people who, if you have flyers and photos and letters and blah 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 or stories, you know, tell us all about it, and we'll, you know, we'll 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 remember you somehow. Well, that's how they remembered me. I came home from work one day, and those boxes were sitting on my porch. Well, I've only seen the one, but if this one's any indication, they're 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 really well done and, and oh, very, very cool, crazy and, cool. Uh, some of the extra stuff, like I said, the live recordings from '84 and '85 are, are pretty special to hear. I think so, my favorite part is the coffee table books. Yeah, the book is really well done. It really is. And for for our listeners, uh, my son Dash, of course, knows Jason, so he really got a kick out of seeing your name included in this Metallica box set. He just thinks that's super cool. <laughs> not, not as cool as I thought it was. Yeah, I was gonna say I think it's pretty <laughs> cool too. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> but that's awesome that you're. That's good parenting. Yeah, yeah. Let's move into our topic today. <laughs> 
We are talking about power ballads. All of us are familiar with them. They were a big deal in the 80s. As I said at the top of the, the episode, they were almost mandatory in the 80s. If you were a rock and roll band trying to get on the radio, you you know, the formula was you released your single and it was a rocker. And then your second or third release to the radio was going to be a power ballad. And uh, but again, they power ballads, they probably didn't have the name, the term power ballad, uh, maybe in the 70s. Uh, but those types of songs did exist. And um, we'll talk a little bit about those. I want to, you know, I want to start off by saying, at least for me, um, we're all aware of the the big hits that Bon Jovi and Skid Row and Motley Crue had the probably the gigantic one, Home Sweet Home. Uh, we're familiar with the Cinderella power ballads, the Poisons, the L.A. Guns, the Faster Pussycat, all great songs. I like all that stuff. I'm a sucker for all that stuff. Uh, but I, I'm going to to dig a little bit deeper today with, with some of my choices. Um, so I just wanted to sort of set the stage there as far as my perspective. Um, but Jason, and first of all, what is, I was thinking about this, how do we even define a power ballad? Is it, is it a song about heartbreak and, and lost love and longing, or is it simply a song that has a slower pace and a quieter vibe? Um, is it about the message or is it about the sound? What do you think? I, I love the question so much. Now, uh, to to keep harping on Metallica and staying in that realm, because I can talk about Metallica for years. I can talk about Metallica every day. <laughs> um, so, you know, Fade to Black is a power ballad. Okay? So yeah, Fade okay. to Black is about either wanting to die or thinking about death or being obsessed with death or saying goodbye or right it, it's a lot of things so um from a i'll just say a thrash band you know metallica is pretty much a rock band at this point but when they were young and full of piss and vinegar they wrote about you know thrashing and headbanging and you know uh, such juvenile things and I still love juvenile things and so therefore I love that era of Metallica and um, I think that your question you're kind of nailing every aspect of what could be considered a power ballad but I think that it's arguable and some people are going to say that it's when you say power ballad it's it it it's defining something from the eighties and they won't let it be anything else. It's, it's yeah. to, in some people's heads. They're uh, stuck on the idea of it being, you know, a song by white lion or something like that, you know, yeah. or every rose has its thorn or something like that. Let's let's I'm, I'm going to throw the Frisbee across the park right now. Free bird is yeah. a power yeah and it's probably arguably if not the best one of the best goddamn power ballads you're gonna find yeah and leonard skinner was very 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 good at that kind of a song and and just and to go with an aspect that you mentioned um 
when you kind of think about the whole idea. Uh, you said pace where they, you know, turn the turn the power down a little bit and lower the lights a little bit and maybe sentimental or just go dark like fade yeah. to black they're kind of going dark they're not necessarily singing about it's not a, really a love song or anything like that and free bird isn't you know kind of a love song because it's about letting go yeah right? yeah uh the the, the the crazy thing is is uh and we've talked about it on this show before like april wine in the late 70s with just between you and me yeah. that is such a great song yeah and uh you can go as far back to that you can uh, uh you know what what do you think let's let's get you your breath into the mic a little bit before i just take up all the oxygen no i i am i'm I'm glad you you went there because kind of, I was sort of torn between you know how do you define it and I think that you know the people might have this uh, perception at, that you described as being a white lion song or a warrant song or a white snake song or something like that, but and and you can't really fault them because those types of songs came to such prominence during the '80s, so it's kind of it's kind of a default position to think that these are things born of the '80s, but. Uh, and a lot of those songs were love songs and heartbreak and that sort of thing. But if you go to this back to the 70s, I'm glad you mentioned Freebird because I was thinking of Dream On by Aerosmith, which is you could also argue that that's a power ballad. But the sentiment in the song, the lyrics, it's more about self-reflection and questioning, you know, your path in life and that sort of thing. It's very introspective. It's not about heartbreak or woe is me. Um, and if you go back to the 70s, you realize that the, the, they weren't called power ballads at the time, but those types of songs were everywhere. Alice Cooper had Only Women Bleed. Black Sabbath had Changes. Aerosmith had Dream On. Uh, you know, Nazareth had a huge hit with Love Heard. So those songs were on the radio and they were out there and they were on the albums, um, but people didn't call them power ballads at the time. And then in the 80s, I think they kind of became a little more formulaic, maybe. Uh, but neither is right or wrong. I enjoy them all. So, yeah, I wanted to sort of, I, I wanted to get your feeling as to whether or not you thought this was unique to the 80s, or if, in fact, it, it's the term maybe is unique to the 80s, but the type of song has been going on forever. It's interesting. I want to jump in, and uh, we were talking to Jared just the other day about uh, how we we need to do a uh, a German metal show or German thrash or remember we were we were thinking like that because yeah. some of our listeners are 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 over in Europe and and uh, hello to Germany yes. and hello to Europe anyone over there who's who's checking out talk louder the um, we need to do we need to cover like we could do a whole show on the scorpions and we could do like a scorpion's family tree, which uh, is opening a can of worms that leads to other things. But but we get to that when we do a scorpion show. But yeah. I was going to say, uh, much related to the scorpions, of course, is UFO because of the Schenker brothers. But 
um, UFO, they would have, it was normal for them to have two or three sort of categoristic power ballads on each fucking record. Yeah. And, and then the Scorpions, they invented the power ballad. But I want to say something. I mean, arguably, right? I want to, I mean, and they've been doing sort of like almost spoken word, which is like sort of this ballady, like softer, uh, ghosty kind of a thing. They've been, they've been doing things like that a long time, the Scorpions, right? Yeah. So, yeah. uh, moody, right? Yeah. Um, and probably some of my favorite, just by defaulted, we're calling these power ballads. Dude, I love how the Scorpions, and before Still Loving You, there was always Somewhere, which is about being on the road. Yeah. Um, there was uh, When the Smoke is Coming Down. I think that's on Blackout. That that song gives me chills. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, and there's a... so. That's a whole can of worms. The crazy thing is, is there's another Scorpions power ballad that I absolutely adore called Always Somewhere. Did I already say that? Yeah, he's yeah, hard. Ho Holiday. Holiday. That's the one I was thinking about. Yeah. But, but Always Somewhere sounds like Freebird. Yeah. And I started with Freebird. Yeah. It's the same type of uh, sentiment being on the road. The melody is the same. Home. The chord structure is the same, Dave. And the it's, guitar... It's, it's, it's the same. Yeah. yeah. Always somewhere for... Uh, I'm glad you brought it up because it's not only one of my favorite power ballads. For a number of years, it was my favorite song, period. I just ah. love that song. Yeah. And the Scorpions are arguably the masters of the power ballad. Uh, you mentioned always somewhere that guitar in that song is just weeping man i yes. mean just weeping yeah. and 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 klaus of course has that that raspy vulnerable quality to his voice nobody sings a power ballad better than klaus mine and uh, and yeah and they've got him by the bucket load you mentioned still loving you uh there's lady starlight there's oh my god there's in trance uh yeah. the smoke is going down um yeah, the holiday of course. They've just they are so good at it and they're and they're so convincing. None of their power ballads sound cheesy. They they really they're they're just craftsmen, they're master craftsmen at the power ballad. I, I'm gonna go on a limb and say, you know, when you think about um I don't wanna put a timestamp on uh on what I'm about to say, and I'm probably gonna get shot at for this, but I, I really feel like uh, any Scorpions power ballad, in any of them, if you add the twang that would make it sound more Leonard Skinner, it or or just it would sound like a really cool uh, country song. Yeah, you, it, it would translate very very well. Um, the blues aspect of it, because that's what you said. The, the guitars sound like they're weeping and they're, they're blues licks and the tones they're getting and all that stuff. I mean, if you added, you know, like lap steel and all that kind of stuff and a little piano track, a little saloon piano track and put a little bit of twang in the voice, it's a freaking country song. 
Yeah. So could, just, yeah. just, just when you, if you have, you have to have some kind of imagination or, or like, like music and what we're exactly what we're talking about to be able to visualize that just by adding a couple of instruments and a couple of different tones, maybe, but the song can stay exactly the same and it fits uh, what we're talking about. Yeah. Always Somewhere is just a dynamite song. I love that song. And it is because, uh, I mean, it, it gives me goosebumps just because of the way the guitar sounds and the way Klaus sounds. And I mean, again, the Scorpions are arguably the masters of the power ballad. You brought up UFO, and there's another band that really does a great job with the so-called power ballads. And, you know, you mentioned that sometimes they put more than one on a single album. And on the Lights Out record, the one that gets all the glory is Love to Love, which is a great, great, great song. I'm not going to take anything away from Love to Love. But on that same album, there's a song called Try Me that I think is equally as good as yep. Love to Love. And it sort of gets overshadowed by love to love. It definitely doesn't get any radio play. But um, again, try, just, try me, I think, shows up on like fairly. I want it may be random. It may not be random because I don't know exactly what comp it's on. But there'd be like greatest hit, UFO greatest hits and try me's on there. Yeah, they, they probably view it themselves as the band as a band. They probably view it as uh, as a one of their better songs maybe but it, my point was it just didn't get the radio play or the or the exposure that love to love got love to love is just a fantastic song but right. try me is is really good as well everybody gravitates to those and i agree 100 percent. but i have to stand on my apple crate for a moment and say uh that the obsession record you still talking ufo obsession yeah is kind of, in my opinion, UFO's peak record, you know? And yeah. I, I think that there's some kick-ass rockers on there, but, you know, what it is that the topic is today, I lean so heavy on the ballads that are on that record. And I think uh, uh, Looking Out for Number One, I don't know if you know that one. I don't. Um, I think I Ain't No Baby is on there. And they're just incredible. And I know Baby sounds like a Led Zeppelin. You know, it's got this drum groove, but then it just dives off the cliff. Um, and looking out for number one, uh, well, the Obsession record has a, has a string section on multiple songs on it. Yeah. UFO was really good at that. And, yep. and Scorpions, I think that kind of stuff came a little bit later for them when they started adding strings to things. Yeah. Like, you know, an orchestra. Right, right, right. But UFO was ahead of them, and I don't know if it was uh, synthesizers or if it was a real orchestra. It's hard to tell. UFO has another song I want to throw in this mix uh, that that, that uh, works well with this topic. On the uh, Mechanics album, there's a song on there called Terry that is just a heartbreaker. Uh, and that's a really, really good song. Well, and not to one-up you, but uh, on the Obsession record, I believe, is uh, the song Cherry. Oh, yeah. The song Cherry? Yeah. yeah. You know Cherry that. and Terry. So there you go. Yeah. Well, there you go. But UFO, uh, much like the Scorpions, very comfortable in that, in that lane, and they do it really well. And, uh, uh, you know, I think a key to all this 
is, you know, you've got to have a singer that can emote convincingly. And Phil Mogg does the ballads as good as Klaus Meine, you know. Right. Th those guys just really, they have a voice that's really tailored to that type of song. Um, so I think that helps them stand out as, as being really, you know, perfectionist at, at the whole power ballad thing. But Klaus doing his thing m makes it Scorpions. And yeah. they, they're, they're not the same guy. No, no, no. no, no I, they definitely have their own distinct identities, but they are very convincing in their ability to emote his way, in their own unique way is what I was, okay. what I was getting of, at. Of course. Um, I, got another, I got another one that's... Uh, okay that uh, I, I've always liked this song, and you don't usually associate this guy with power ballads, but uh, I'm going to go with Glenn Danzig off the Lucifuge album. There's a song on that album called Blood and Tears, and it's very acoustic. And, you know, when Glenn wants to do his Elvis Presley thing, he, he can be quite the crooner, you know. And he does it on this song really well. And then by the end of the song, he's bellowing in such, you know, pain. He, he sounds like an, a wounded werewolf and you're just howling at the moon, you know. And uh, he does some really good, quiet stuff. Um, there's a song on, on Danzig 3. I think it's called Sistina or something, Sistinas or something like that. But uh, Blood and Tears off the Lucifuge album, I've always liked that song. That album is really strong, but that song stands out, and it's a power ballad. And you don't usually think of Glenn Danzig as a, as a vulnerable power ballad kind of guy. He's got, actually, I would agree with you, uh, he's got quite a few things that I would still call power ballads. Super dark and, like, I mean, he... He's like, I mean, uh, the Prince of Darkness is kind of, you know, an, an overmuch term by now because there's a lot of dark lords that, you know, from Alice Cooper to King Diamond to Ozzy Osbourne and, and uh, Glenn Danzig, they could all fall under the flag of Prince of Darkness, right? Yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of like, it, it kind of cartoons it out for me. It doesn't really work anymore, but um, <laughs> there is uh, that song... And I probably have the record, uh, Danzig. Uh, it's in the uh, Hangover soundtrack, and it's the 13, the 13 on my back. Uh, uh, and there's one called, like, Under My Black Wings or something Under like that. Her Black Wings, yeah, yeah. Her Black Wings, thank you. And I love that stuff. I yeah. love that tone. I love where he's going with that. Um, you could even throw in uh, probably some things by typo negative that would feel the same way. Yeah. And I, I don't know titles. I have like two typos records and I don't, I have bloody kisses and I, I may have one more. Uh, anyway, it's, they have that there's, but those guys are screaming power ballad, like pain and woe. Yeah. Uh, in the graveyard, you know, yeah. like it's very Hamlet. It's Shakespearean. All of that dark, moody, foggy kind of a of an attitude. Um, it's incredible. You men you mentioned Alice Cooper. And when you think about Alice Cooper and you think about him uh, doing I Never Cry and Only Women Bleed and things like that, um, it's the same to me. 
as as the Danzigs and the and you know what's the same to me Elvis it's the same that dark sort of you know uh Johnny Cash when he's singing about his pain and uh being on trial for something it's the same it's all the same to me yeah. it's a it's a dark room these guys go into and uh bleed I'm, I'm glad yeah I'm glad you're bringing these 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 names up and and these songs because again it just goes to show uh I think if people uh, see this episode on YouTube and they see the title Power Ballads, they're going to assume that we're going to spend an hour talking about Poison and Bon Jovi and that sort of thing. And Yeah, but if they know you and I, they know that we're not necessarily, like, maybe not at all yeah. about, about Bon Jovi and Poison. Right. And and I, I and I'm okay with with their versions of power ballads. I'm a, I'm an eighty. Me too. Guy. Me yeah. too. Because I have to be. It wouldn't make yeah. sense for me to not say that I'm I'm okay. I'm not okay with it because I am. Yeah. Here's another one that always gets me. I just think this song is it, is just another one of those songs that just gives me chill. And and as you're as you're fond of saying, this song really paints a picture and that is uh borderline by thin lizzy mm -hmm. it's on the johnny the fox record and that song and those lyrics i mean i can actually get a mental picture in my head when i'm listening to that song i can see phil sitting at the bar by himself with some cigarette smoke coming up out of the ashtray it's closing time He's drinking away his sorrows, and it just it just takes me there. I feel like I'm in the bar room with this guy, and he's just wallowing in his misery, and the song is just beautiful. And, of course, anybody that pays attention to Thin Lizzy knows what a wordsmith Phil is. So if anybody's going to break your heart and tell a story, that guy can do it. <laughs> and stories, to, stories to tell is what makes a good a good song anyway, but definitely what were uh and we didn't coin the phrase obviously but a power ballad um i like it's not changing gears but it's it's talking about uh phil linen and and uh, another lizzie song is sarah yeah you know that song sarah yeah, yeah. escapes me what record it's on right now uh yeah, it escapes me as well. Yeah, it's almost, it's important to know what record it's on because I want people to check it out. But I want to say that was his daughter, right? I think so. His daughter or his wife. Yeah, it was a it was a woman in his life or a girl. Uh, and I think it is autobiographical in a sense. I, I think you're right. I think it's a tribute to his daughter. Yeah, I think so. And uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, of course, Thin Lizzy has Still Loving You. Uh, I mean, they they were another one of those bands, much like UFO and the Scorpions. Still, where, still in still in love with you. Still in love with you. I'm sorry that you're you're right, but they are one of those bands, uh, much like the Scorpions and UFO. When Phil decides to open a vein and bleed all over the place, you're gonna drown, man. <laughs> yeah, and the the cool thing about Lizzy is uh, it's obvious for Lizzy fans they already know this, but they weren't afraid to do that song amidst all of their boogie woogie shit, you know? Yeah. All of their rocker shit. Yeah. And, um, I mean, the Scorpions, of course, they could do a whole power ballad show. Yeah. <laughs> and so could UFO. Yeah. But 
that would be cheating themselves out of a good time as well as their fans. But I'm sure the fans would would not mind a uh, an all power ballad Scorpions or an all power ballad UFO. Hell, they've probably done it. Yeah, maybe they have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, um, I um, I wanted to bring up a song that sort of fits in a very strange way with the typo negatives and the Alice Coopers maybe and the, the Danzigs and and things like that is uh, Sleeping in the Fire by uh, Wasp. I've got that on my list. I was so going to bring that up. God damn. Yeah. <laughs> what a song, right? Tell, tell everyone about it, please. Oh, well... Uh, yeah, so of course it's on the very first Wasp album. It came out in 1984, and uh, it's one of those songs. Just like you said, it's it it comes from a very dark place, and the imagery that it evokes is very uh, hellish and dark and falling angel type of stuff. And uh, you know, again, here's another case where the vocal. I mean, Blackie Lawless just has one of those very unique voices and. You know, most of the time we know him as shouting and yelling and and being this wild, savage guy. And and he still is on Sleeping in the Fire, but it's just so there's so much pain in his voice. And he he's able to he's able to do that better than most. I mean, he has got a very unique voice and it makes that song. It's his version of of what I and I agree with the term crooning when you think about um uh, Glenn and um, Peter, you know, Typo and, and Danzig. Uh, and it and it's the same to me as when like a Jim Morrison or an Elvis or, a, a, you know, that type of a Johnny Cash, you know, where they, they're weeping and moaning and yeah. but they're singing. So it's a crooner, heartfelt thing. But, uh, you know, Blackie's talking about Lucifer's magic. Yeah, and it's and it's more about uh, it's a love song of of some kind of I don't know the lyrics, but uh, it's uh, I want to say it's a love song, but it's probably a, a death infatuation or someone someone got hurt. Yeah, <laughs> someone really got hurt, and yeah. maybe he's trying to conjure up a memory or something like that. Sleeping in the fire by Wasp. Yeah. It's a, it's a mofo. Yeah, that's a great, great, great song. That whole album is solid, but yeah, we're we're talking about ballads today. So, uh, but is the fact another is there. An, I'm sorry to interrupt. Is there another Wasp ballad? Did he ever do anything else, Blackie? I mean, Wasp. Yeah. Did, did anything close to that? I'm sure there is, but I'll be honest, I kind of stopped paying attention to Wasp after the first two albums, if I'm being entirely honest. And that sounds like me and Motley Crue. Yeah, yeah but, and, but I know a lot of people that love some of the later stuff, uh, Head, uh, Headless Cross and uh, Crimson Idol, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's a song that sort of fits that mold uh, elsewhere in the Wasp catalog. I'm just yeah. not there. But. yeah. And I'm sure that there's even things that just sans power ballad that are that would kick my ass, that would sound awesome. But I just never, for whatever reason, got past the last command kind of thing. Yeah, 
same here. Uh, I probably owe it to myself to at least pick up Crimson Idol, and I, I think it's called the Headless Cross. Um, there's a Black yeah, Sabbath album. Yeah, Headless, same title of that. Headless Cross, Headless Children. No, the Black the Wasp album. I think it's called Headless Children, maybe. Well, that's heavy, but you know, yeah. decapitated children just sounds like <laughs> a cannibal corpse yeah. thing, and not not a wasp thing. Well, you know, uh, we, we may of... be we may be jacked up. Uh, we may need our geritol to recall uh, <laughs> what yeah, it is I, we're talking. Admittedly, I, I I stopped paying attention to wasp after those first couple of records. Maybe but... we should make a pact and and catch up on some wasp because they won't. We talked about Wasp a little bit on the show, but um, uh, Blackie and, and Wasp definitely get a lot of uh, traction here on Talk Louder, um, and we are huge fans. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting. I'm going to throw this up in the air and shoot at it again. Is I don't, I don't know of any other Wasp song that would be considered a power ballad. I'm going to go out on a limb and say they have probably five more and I'm just okay. not aware of them. I'm just ignorant, but, um, yeah, me too. That's we're but, we're in agreement with that. Yeah. But that you, uh, that you're ignorant <laughs> <laughs> and I will, and I'll, I'll wear the sign around, you know, I'll wear the hat that says, and I'm ignorant too. The dunce cap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We'll pass it back and forth. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad we got sleeping in the fire into this conversation because that song is just a ooh man, that's a that's a chilly one, man. It's a yeah. it's a creeper. Yeah, um, I feel, and I feel like I, I love that description too. I feel like it's the power ballads that are chilly are the ones that I like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier. Again, I hate to I hate to. Uh, I, I don't want to denigrate any of the, the quote unquote hair metal bands that had power ballads in the eighties, but, uh, some of them could come across as pretty manufactured, you know, and the, the chilly ones that we're talking about seem to come from a deeper place. You know, they, they seem to come from a deeper, darker spot somewhere within, you know, that's not, wasn't written to get on the radio, wasn't written to get you know, a certain demographic to buy the album. It was written because the person strongly felt these emotions and needed to get them out. And you look at a song, like I said, Borderline by Thin Lizzy. I mean, Phil's basically just looking in the mirror and and he's kind of, uh, with he's looking at himself and he's feeling low down. He feels like a drunk. He feels like he's wasting his life. He feels like... Uh, He's never going to amount to anything. This is as good as it gets. It's a low, wallowing kind of, you know, perspective. And that, man, that stuff really grabs you when it's done well. It's so much more so than Baby Broke My Heart last Saturday night, you know. Yeah, that, that doesn't work. And I think that that kind of stuff, like the phrase you just said, is more, uh, I'm not even disrespecting, but that's a very good uh way to describe the the quick go-to power ballad on an 80s hair metal type of a song yeah. or album um no disrespect but uh every rose has its thorn is a my baby broke my heart last saturday night yeah and you know but 
I've, uh, I've interviewed Brett Michaels numerous times and he told me, he's told me the story about writing that song and, and, and people may think that it's overplayed and it maybe sounds uh, of a certain time period, but he wrote that from a, from a place of sincere heartbreak, you know? Oh, oh, I, be- I believe it, but because yeah. it's poison and they're a party band. Yeah. Kind of one of those, like, what? You did what? You know, yeah. <laughs> this wedge stuck in the middle of, you know, this, like, chartreuse, hot pink, bubblegum chewing, spitting, whiskey guzzling, headband, you know, hair <laughs> aquanet kind of, you know what I mean? And then, yeah. what? It's like, I thought you don't care about having your heart broken because you're, you know, you're a heartbreaker, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think that it's, it can, uh, it can open your demographic a little bit. Like you started saying at the top of the episode, I think that it was by uh, industry standards there for a hot minute. It was, you had to go that route if you were kind of a band. You know, Whitesnake, I think, did a really good job with uh, the so-called power ballad. I think Is This Love is super sappy and has a lot of dripping cheese, you know, river kind of thing. But he's got such a he's a crooner. Yeah. Sound really sad. He's a blue. He's a British blues singer and he always has been. But he's a great like kick ass, like almost metal, like a Dio kind of a powerful power metal. He's, he could be a power metal singer. Yeah. And um, I've, I've always loved Coverdale's voice, but, you know, I think that uh, if you go way, way back to when he was right out of, uh, of Deep Purple and when he got Whitesnake going in the, at the earliest inception of Whitesnake, which was like an entire other band. The, his yeah. version of a power ballad would be just like a boogie blues, just pulled way, way, way back. And I, I don't, those songs are coming to mind right now. But on uh, on uh, is it is it slided in that has Sykes on it? Yeah. Okay, so that era, like mid eighties. Yeah. Uh, what was the they had uh slow and easy they had uh slided in um i'm trying to think of there were i i want to say there's some kind of a power ballad on slided in it's just it may i'm just missing it right is it uh love ain't no stranger Ooh, that's it it's kind of a that's a bit of a rocker but it does kind of have a ballady sort of feel to it yeah maybe it's a it's a Put it this way, uh, he always wrote something with love in it about every ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, so you yeah. can't. He's he's the classic Playboy kind of guy. Yeah, know? yeah. He's really good. He's a hell of a songwriter. Yeah. Um, but I think that he's he's singing about the blues because he's singing about a lot of heartbreak. You know, uh, I want Danko Jones's version of a power ballad is like. Uh, if you want to know how to play the blues, get yourself a woman. <laughs> so he doesn't do power ballads, but it's very much Coverdale by way of lyric. Yeah. 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 Um, 
I'm glad you brought up Coverdale because I've always been a sucker for that song, um, Is This Love? And it was yeah. just so sappy and sugar-coated. Uh, and it came out in the mid later 80s and it was all over the radio and the video was you know real moody and of course Coverdale plays the part to the T well it was on the record you know that came out in like 87 or 88 I believe when you had the new band and that's the hit machine that had uh they had uh crying in the rain it had uh these are just amped up blues songs yeah um but I've uh, always that song is this right that's a here good. i go again here i go that was on there here yeah. i go again yeah so yeah, he's another one uh again just kind of like you know just kind of like ufo i keep going back to ufo and the scorpions because they're kind of the masters of this whole thing but coverdale is very well suited to to that type of song as well and again you know he's got a very unique and fantastic voice for it and i think that that is what pushes it over the edge, I think, you know. If you took Is This Love and you took Coverdale's voice out of it and just left the music and, and a different singer, it wouldn't have the same impact. It's that husky voice that makes you feel what it is he's saying. Interesting. I, I like this game. Think about this. I was, uh, I'm in, you, I love where you are with this, but I, I automatically started to think about I want you you're talking about his husky voice his grit and his grind and he's he's emoting like as you mentioned is kind of a must in yeah. this uh, topical thing that we have uh but if you know who I think would work and might not work as well if you were to take either Klaus or Phil Mogg Klaus Minor or Phil Mogg and put them on is this love I think Phil would win I think okay. Phil Mogg would win that over Klaus, which is really weird because I'm not trying to start a, a, a wrestling match here or anything, but <laughs> Phil has his thing, but he's not Klaus. Right. And Klaus is kind of, this is where I might get shot at, because it's all uh, your opinion and what you feel and, and your preference. But yeah, Klaus is might be a better singer than phil by way of uh technique and range and then arguably maybe klaus and uh coverdale have a similar range and yeah. techniques and style but i still think phil who's like the guy at the bar you know yeah he's like the guy in the alley you know what I mean? Smoking a cigarette under the gaslight kind of thing. He's hanging. He's out there hanging out with the, you know, the gangs, right? He's. Uh, I think he would fit on is this love better than Klaus for some weird reason? Not to. Sorry, it was just a, a, a comic book moment I had where where you could switch singers for a second. Yeah. What? But you know, you're 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 kind of shuffling the deck a little bit, and I and I see where you're going. But you have to keep in mind too that the deck you're shuffling is comprised of is comprised of great singers. So oh my God, yeah. And whichever card you pull is going to work. Yeah, it's Phil just, being Phil being the wild card here because he's a little bit more rough and tumble, I think, than Klaus or uh, Coverdale because Coverdale's um, not 
classier or anything, but he's like more of a ladies' man kind yeah. of this playboy. You call him a playboy. Yeah. And Klaus is uh, just a conduit of like tone, right? He's yeah. this. He has he has his way. All three are completely different. Uh, not necessarily interchangeable, but it's interesting that I would take, you know, the guy in the leather jacket, uh, put him into just proverbial, just as a, you know, throw up a film mog, and he's like the regular guy, yeah, into the Playboy's shoes to sing <laughs> "Is This Love." I think that he would fit better than Klaus for some weird reason. I don't know; it's a weird thing to think of, but well, that was fun. That All was fun for me singers. to think. Yeah. yeah, fun for me to 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 fantasize about interchangeable singers. What about of? I want to ask you about this. So Van Halen and Power Ballad. Go. What do you know I'll about? Wait. I'll wait is my favorite by them. Okay. Even though cool. even though that's not pulled way back, it's not slow. Um, it's not slow. It's not pulled back. It, yeah, you're you're right. Um, but to me, I, I guess I guess compared to the the rest of the Van Halen catalog, uh, it, it's one of their maybe more mellow and maybe one of their more heartfelt songs, maybe. Uh, which is why I point to it. I'm not sure, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind I would... of a it's kind of a love at first sight. It's kind of a you know he he sees a girl and he's he's like uh, talking her up and uh, can't sorry I can't deal with that right now. And then he's like saying, "Well, I at least have photos of you. I, I can wait. I'll wait. Yeah. For, I'll wait another day, kind of a thing." And it, it's a I, I like that. It's yeah. a cool window to see that boy meets girl or fant fantasize fantasy type of thing about boy sees girl and really you know, I'll I'll just wait for something else little uh, <laughs> little little bit of quick trivia and then I'll let you go wherever you were going to go with Van Halen yeah. Do you know who co-wrote that song I'll wait I don't Michael McDonald wow that's interesting Doobie yeah Brooks. yeah he has a co writing credit on that song but i i read somewhere that it's he's not credited on every copy of that album like a bunch of them went to press without his name on the credits and then a bunch of them did include his name on the credits so i went and i looked at the cd that i have and his name is on my version so depending on what version you have he may or may not be credited but he is in fact a, a co-writer on on that song I'll wow! Wait. Yeah, very interesting. So where um, are you going with Van Halen? Well, there's there's a lot of different places you could go um, with it, but uh, you know, I mean, Little Dreamer is that a power ballad? Well, see, I like the way I like the way that sounds. Uh, Jared's going to get mad at me because I'm I'm looking at. Uh, I've changed my camera angle for a second to look at this note here. But this is just like a random list of stuff here. Is this love is on it. Every rose is on it. Uh, Close my eyes forever is on it. We should talk about that. 
this whoever this is is calling we are the champions of power ballad uh i'll be there for you bon jovi these are all worth mentioning love song by tesla sister christian by night ranger Bringing on the heartbreak by Def Leppard. Great song. Uh, I, I don't want to miss a thing by Aerosmith. I I want to go with Dream On. I just think that. Uh, when it's love. How do I know when it's love? Sammy Hagar. Uh, Hagar. But see, that's kind of a that's that still rocks just yeah. as far as Van, as far as Van Hagar kind of went with it. It yeah. still kind of rocks. And then there's a couple of them. Home Sweet Home, Motley Crue. The first one on the list is Beth. I was going to get to Beth. Yeah. November Rain is on here and Wind of Change is, is on here. So. Yeah. Beth, I mean, let's talk about that for a minute. Huge, huge hit for Kiss. And uh, um, a, ver a, a, a major departure for them at the time. But that song was massive. And, um, yeah, you could, you, you'd have to include that in the all time great power ballads, I guess. But again, it came along at a time when people weren't putting things so much in a box like they were by the eighties. So it just oh. was known as Kiss's slower song. It wasn't really called a power ballad. No. And it's a Philharmonic orchestra with a piano track and Peter Chris, and that's it. Yeah, and Peter's voice, again, I go back to the voice. I mean, he kind of has that sandpapery, Rod Stewart sort of quality to his voice, and yeah. and that brought that song home, I think. And, of course, again, it's the classic boys missing girl. I'm, I'm out, you know, rehearsing with the guys, and I won't be home till late kind of thing. Uh, but, again, yeah, his he's, voice. He's, sing he's singing a little bit. I'm going to get shot out for this. Okay, if you know me, you know I'm a Kiss freak. Right. And I love Peter Chris. There's a lot of Peter Chris songs that I really like. Yeah. So don't get mad at me when I go technical on you and say, Peter's a little bit pitchy on Beth. <laughs> He's a little shaky on his pitch. Yeah. And I love it that they left it, or it was the best they could get on the day. He'd rather go do some, you know, have a whiskey than he would. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, recut a vocal, but dude, uh, Beth was one of those. I, there's a lot of things about Beth that um, that I like, and a lot of it is the lore. Like Paul Stanley is known to have said, "We thought Beth was a throwaway song. We put it as a B-side, not expecting it to. It was the B-side to Detroit Rock City, I think, uh, at one point." Yeah. And I think I have the 45 with with that, with Detroit on one side and Beth on the other. And they were, this is still Paul talking, and radio guys, DJs were flipping the record and playing Beth just because they wanted another song because they didn't have the record out yet. Yeah. Right? They didn't have the full record, so they're playing the, the 45s, and people were playing Beth, and it blew up. Yeah. So they had to do it live. So they had to record. Have a have the tracks pre-recorded tracks, yeah. Which I think they probably end up liking that moment for this reason. They got a break, you know. Ace got to go back and have a drink, <laughs> yeah. And Gene and Paul got to rest their voice and you know stand in front of the fan for a moment, right? Yeah. Um, but they also uh, it's a double-sided. 
coin because uh, two sides of the coin. Jews, sorry. Uh, it is uh, a song that Gene and Paul, I think, are mad because they didn't have it. They, they don't make any money off of it. They didn't write it. Yeah. They get performance royalties, but no writing credits. No, so there's no mechanicals on it. It won some sort of award. It was the number one People's Choice Award song or something. It got a ton of recognition the year it came out. And, of course, that put the spotlight on Peter. And, of course, Gene and Paul can't stand to, to give up any of the spotlight. But, yeah, it was a massive, massive hit for them. And well, uh, it's funny because Gene and Paul were the ones who were like, come on, guys, Ace, Peter, you guys got to sing too. Don't let us. Right. You guys write some songs and throw them in here. Come on. Well, you know, they asked for it. They got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> yeah, they got it. Come on, we should make solo records. And then, uh, yeah, Ace, uh, Ace sold two. Yeah, no more solo records. Yeah. Yeah. Um, funny. I got another one. Uh, a, a song called uh, Don't You Ever Leave Me by Hanoi Rocks. Um, I, I've always liked that song, and I think some of it, it's a great song, but some of it is because I have memories attached to it. And um, uh, the first time I really heard it was... Uh, I was hanging out with our buddy Houston Richeson and he, he was, I think at the time he was uh, renting out the garage at Wendy Wad's house or something. He had, he was kind of living in this converted garage and I used to always go over there and he had a side door that allowed you to enter his living space without walking through the house proper. Right. And so I'd go over there all the time and he and I used to write punk rock songs together and all this. Well, so he was always strumming an acoustic guitar. I came over there one time and he had the Hanoi Rocks Two Steps from the Move album on vinyl, which I thought was interesting because I didn't really peg Houston for being a Hanoi kind of guy. Although Houston is secretly kind of a hair metal guy. He'll tell you all day long. He loves oh, rap. Oh, yeah. For those, for those of you globally, uh, these are local Austin folk that are pretty much legendary around our parts. Yeah, and uh, Houston's known for, you know, being, you know, king of the punk rockers around here. Yeah, and, and Wendy was actually in the Skate Nicks for a little while, and she's a, she's one of the scene people around here. Yeah. And and, uh, and Houston is, as far as I know, still doing it and ready to do it some more, and he's had a he yeah. cancer, and he's this, like, kind of hero guy around here. But... Yeah. uh Great but yeah, you know, he is kind of a hair metal guy. Yeah. And uh but he's a punk, he's he you would be you're scared of him when he walked up. Did you know that he's a he's a line dance teacher? I didn't know he was a teacher, but I know that he is uh he's heavy into line dancing, which he teaches country line dancing. And which he's a hardcore punk rock guy. Yeah. Yeah, he traded in his mohawk for a ten-gallon hat, and he and he does it. He does well, it. I think well, that he had his ten-gallon hat in the closet the entire time. He was <laughs> he was yeah. singing "Oi, oi, oi." So, right, right. Yeah. But anyway, so he had this album, and uh, Hanoi Rocks, Two Steps from the Move, and there's a track on there called "Don't You Ever Leave Me," and it's a ballad, and uh, he figured out how to uh, play the the guitar part. So, you know, I'd go over there and we'd be writing punk rock songs together. And then he would, you know, whenever he wanted to take a break and, and play something a little, you know, 
downshift, if you will, and, and play something a little more mellow on the acoustic guitar. It sounded perfect on, it was made for an acoustic guitar, right? And uh, he would start playing that song. And then I would do my best to sing along with it <laughs> and do my best Michael Monroe imitation. But that song uh, always brings back fond memories for me because of that time in the garage, hanging out with Houston. And we used to kind of, you know, do that song in our own little way, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it's a great song, uh, great lyrics. Uh, Michael Monroe, you know, I, I'm a big fan of his. And uh, that was uh, Hanoi's yeah. stab. Look at, look at your shirt. Oh, yeah, I'm wearing my Michael yeah. Yeah. I'm wearing a Michael Monroe shirt today. Yeah, you, uh, Hanoi Rocks and Michael Monroe get a lot of. There's quite a footprint on Talk Louder. Yeah, know, because dude, they I think they should send you a check or something. <laughs> well, yeah, they probably should. Um, I'm gonna have to have someone reach out to Michael or Sammy Yaffa or somebody. So, so let's talk about Junkyard for for a moment and and more of like the class of '89, you know, '88 between 88 and maybe 92 or something junkyard had a song on their debut record called uh uh get your hands off my throat hands off yeah hands off yeah yeah and that's almost coming off as a country song as one of these sort of like up you know lonesome cowboy kind of a you know twangy songs it's got the piano it's got the slide thing it's got i think earl slick may have even played slide guitar on that song but anyway uh that is another kind of power ballad that sort of fits in with the leonard skinner you know tuesday's gone with the wind you know uh sort of the southern rock thing yeah in a midst of you know uh, you know, the L.A. Guns and the Pussycats and the, all that sort of like sleazy rock kind of junkyard is one of those bands. that was more not so much a poison Bon Jovi, but more of a rhino bucket circus of power. Yet they have this southern thing being that the origins of junkyard are, are, are a little bit. They're just as much Texas as they are Hollywood. Yeah, for sure. And on the first record, they had a song called Texas, and they had a song called Hollywood. Yeah. So yeah. they know what they're doing, uh, and they know how to write a song like that that sounds like what could be some kind of weird honky-tonk, but it's a rock song, so it kind of lends itself to power ballad. I'll, I'll go you one better with, with Junkyard. If you move to their next album, uh, there's a song called Slippin' Away. Yeah, and uh, I know that, that one is a great song. They co-wrote that. Do you know who they co-wrote it with? Here's some uh, more trivia. I don't know. Steve Earle. Oh, perfect. Yeah, co-written by co-written with uh, with Steve Earle, and that song is just great. You talk about how Junkyard kind of has that that Leonard Skinner thing, and it really kind of comes through when they slow it down and they kind of get down and dirty and twangy and campfire sounding or whatever yeah slipping away dude that that is a great song it checks all those boxes and i guess you know having it you know writing with steve earl probably brings something to the table too because he's one of those kind of guys you know oh yeah 
Like that's yeah, he, he's a he's the lonesome cowboy on the trail, campfire, howling at the moon, woe is me kind of a songwriter singer songwriter guy who's from right down the road from where I am right now. He's from San Marcos, Texas, if I if I'm not mistaken. I think I think you may be right. Yeah. yeah. Um uh, I wanted to also bring up this is my this is the last one I have on my list and we can we can keep going if you have others but uh, I wanted to bring up Patience by Guns N' Roses. I always liked that song when it came out. I thought it was interesting that it starts with with Axl Rose whistling. You don't always hear whistling in a song, especially not to start the song. <laughs> And I just always like the sentiment in that song because, again, it's something that's very universal. We all have bad days. We all need to look in the mirror and, and remind ourselves that it's going to be okay. Uh, we all need to remind ourselves to just slow down, breathe a little bit, have some friggin' patience, you know. And uh, when it came out, you know, it came out on that Lies, uh, Lies, Lies, Lies EP. So... Yeah. It was a stark contrast to what they had just, you know, put out with Appetite for Destruction, which was all venom and fury and rage and, 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 you know, just fury. And then here comes Aerosmith on speed. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and literally, and then, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then here comes patience and it's an acoustic number. It's got, you know, Axl Rose is whistling. He's singing in that low register that he does so well. Uh, it's, uh, it's just a song about, you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to say it again. It's, it's a country song. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a country song. I was also going to say, you mentioned Axl's whistling, that's not necessarily taken from Klaus Mine and Winds of Change either. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, you think about Winds of Change and the intro to Winds of Change, that has the same sort of feel, just less twang. Yeah. And Patience does. But yeah. I really like that. Those moments in both of those songs with the whistling. Yeah. Like, I feel like, uh, guns are doing more of a Stones because the Rolling Stones wrote country songs. Yes, they did. Dead Flowers yeah. is probably their biggest country moment. That Honky Tonk Woman is a country song. Uh, they they write country songs. Yeah, very well actually. Yeah, they. I mean, they do everything well. It's yeah, you're right. How much talent can one band have? Yeah. But uh, going it's back, all about it's all about the songwriting in the Stones. I mean, they're talented, but yeah. It's like organized slop sometimes, too. Yeah, which is is Guns N' Roses. (laughs) Which is lovable, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, going back to Patience, um, I always loved that song. It always, you know, it it touches me when I hear it because it reminds me again of a certain time in my life. And uh, so I I feel a little connected to it. But um, I just heard uh, a version Chris Cornell just put out an album just a couple weeks ago, and it's his well, family. He's, he's not around anymore, so well, he's, right. He's, his family released the record, but it's and I don't know. Oh, if good. Whole, I get it. I get it. I don't know if the whole thing is cover tunes or what, but he. I was in a record store, and the and the guy was playing it behind the counter, and I heard two songs. One of them was Patience with Chris Cornell singing it, and he does a great job, man. I mean, sure. so good. 
And then the other one that I heard was Nothing Compares to You, which was a uh, Sinead O'Connor. I think Prince. it was written Prince. by Prince, yeah, yeah. but Sinead had a massive hit with it. But um, but Cornell does the uh, Guns N' Roses song, uh, Patience, he, and he does it really well. Um, that's, so cool. I, that's just a great song. Yeah. So I would hate myself if I didn't talk about Elton John. When you think about the word power ballad or the phrase or whatever, and you go into the 70s, it was still power ballad. Someone saved my life tonight could have been done by White Snake. Yeah. Um, so this has been our topic today is a great one because it's been going on since the dawn of rock. Yeah. Which was and, one of the points I wanted to make. Yeah. Know? Yeah. But El Elton and I should probably uh, say Bernie Taupin, his lyricist for decades, uh, was really good about sort of a cosmic cowboy vibe of lyricism. There's one song, uh, and the title is a sentence. Uh, it's called uh, A Bullet in the Gun of Robert Ford, I think is what the title of the song is. Okay. And um, it's about, uh, I want to say it's the, it's about the killing of, uh, of uh, Billy the Kid or something like that. Uh, my my cowboy lore is off. I, it sort of escaped me, but that song is incredible. I think that there's a record called Tumbleweed Connection that has some country sort of ballad things on it. Um, but let's face it, everybody knows Elton and can probably pick 10 songs that would fit under power, power ballad just, just from an artist like that. Yeah. And it's interesting that we've sort of covered, I guess we're kind of wrapping up here. Um, there, there is so much from every artist. You could say the Beatles wrote power ballads. Um, you could say, I mean, start with the Beatles, then go to Black Sabbath, and we end up with Blackie Lawless. You know <laughs> what I mean? We go... Yeah. We would go from dark to light to, to, I mean, Brian Adams could have done Is This Love. Yeah. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Brian Adams knows how to write a power ballad. He's a Canadian pop star. Yeah. From the 80s. Uh, who could, who could have, been, who wrote War Machine with Kiss. Yeah. Which is not a power ballad. <laughs> not to be confused. No, but at the same, <laughs> I don't know. It might be fun to try to write a power ballad oh, called uh, "War Machine." War Machine. Let's put some yeah. acoustic guitars and some piano on it and see what right. happens. Call it a power ballad. Right. <laughs> acoustic, acoustic War Machine sounds like a bad idea. I mean, the song "War Machine" by Kiss played on acoustics yeah. doesn't sound. I think they did that, didn't they? Kiss went out and did an acoustic tour, and I think they were taking requests and some. Some dill rod said war machine, and they probably played it on acoustic. And I was like, no, no, please don't play heavy metal like that. You know, it's like, yeah, it's 
it's like doing teas and pleasing on acoustic with no drums. It does, you know, that's not sleaze rock. That doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, you know, people think not to toot my horn here, but people, people think that might think that Queen of the Nile is a power ballad. <sighs> that song's a rocker, man. Well, that's it. interesting because the lyrics are very power ballad. The lyrics yeah. are the presentation or, is not. <laughs> or, well, it's not outlaw. No, it's not. Well, yeah, okay. You know but it's mean? not. It's, it's not. But it's not promised the moon either. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's definitely a power ballad. Also, it feels like a hammer. I guess would have been the the go to song. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I go think, ahead. I think the point here in it is that you know. We're, we're calling the episode Power Ballads just to have a catchphrase that people will recognize. But I think the point that we've made today is great songs are great songs and they span decades. And there have, there was such a thing as power ballads in the 70s, the 60s, the 50s. They just weren't called power ballads. I think that term came to prominence in the 80s. Uh, but a good song is a good song. And even though, you know, you and I, are a little more partial to the heavy stuff, the hard rocking, you know, screaming demon, fist in the air, uh, kind of rock and roll. But uh, I mean, who among us doesn't like to slow it down once in a while and hear something that actually, you know, touches your heart or gives you goosebumps or you know, and, and that's what we're talking about today. With the ones that do it well, do it very well, and we just wanted to take some time today to put the spotlight on, you know, uh, this type of song wherever it may land on the calendar, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 2000s, whatever. Um, and there's a lot of artists that you might not associate with uh, power ballads that actually do them quite well if you dig deep enough into their catalog. So, yeah, good topic today. A lot of good uh, song titles and back and forth. That was fun. Let's move on to our shot of rock and roll. <laughs> My shot of rock and roll for this episode is the story behind this picture. And for those of you who are listening and not watching, um, we are displaying a photograph that I have of a guitar pick. It's a yellow guitar pick with the name Blackie Lawless inscribed on it. And it was given to me by Blackie at a concert in San Antonio in 1984 it was december 1984 it was right around christmas it might have even been christmas eve it was december 23rd 24th some some somewhere in there right at 1984 and wasp was touring their first album i was a big fan um they were playing a small club and i know you're going to jump in here in just a second jason they were playing a club called daddy's in san antonio which is uh where you saw am i right is this where you saw metallica with raven that is correct i saw <clears throat> raven with uh, metallica supporting uh that would have been the week of uh the the last week of August in 1983. So, okay, about a year before. So I'm, I'm at Daddy's in December of 1984 watching a Wasp concert, and I'm a big fan. I love that first record. So I go to the show. It's a small club, 
and I'm wearing, I, I took a, a plain white t-shirt and I took a black Sharpie and I, I painted basically a portrait of Blackie Lawless on the front of this shirt. And the contrast worked very well because Blackie had that jet black hair with those white streaks kind of dyed into it. And, you know, the heavy eyeliner and everything. So I drew this portrait that took up my entire chest on the front of this white T-shirt, and I wore it to the concert. You have balls to wear a white T-shirt. Well, I couldn't draw a picture of Blackie Lawless on a black T-shirt. Well, you got to get <laughs> you got to get paint pens, or I well, guess back it was, it was 1984, man. Yeah, I don't me, and, me and Mike Solis used to paint our own shirts with white latex house paint. There you well, okay. So I I I was going the cheap route. I was doing. No, I love it. I love it. You got balls. Yeah. Carry on. So I go to the gig and I, I'm wearing this shirt that I made and I I I work my way all the way up to the very front. I'm literally standing in front of Blackie Lawless. He's got the chain link mic stand right. I mean, my nose is touching this mic stand, and I just held my ground and and you know rocked out for the whole show from right there in the front. And at one point. Blackie looks down and sees me and sees the shirt that I'm wearing. And I can just see his eyes light up when it catches his attention. And he points at me and he kind of gives me this look like, that's awesome, dude. And uh, he handed me uh, this pick um, that we're looking at. And, of course, at that time, he was the bass player in Wasp, not the guitar player. So he was using, he was using that pick on stage. And I think he, he enjoyed my shirt. He liked uh, the fact that I was a fan and I was dedicated enough to draw him on my shirt and push my way down to the front. And so my reward was this Blackie Lawless guitar pick. <laughs> awesome. Man, that's a good one. I uh, painted this, uh, I may still have it, a black shirt uh, painted. It's got a Metallica logo. It's got James underneath it. He's got the flying V and he's he's throwing the bird right he's flipping off and uh he's wearing the bullet belt and i painted this with white latex paint um <laughs> i think i used scotch tape to make a sort of a stencil to make the lines tight uh but almost freehand right uh and it's you know it's a it's a it's a re-portrait kind of a from a picture from a magazine a black and white photo of james and uh I think my brother Randy wore it to that shirt, which which ironically was only was February twenty first of eighty five. That's like two months later yeah. after you saw Wa and Wasp was supposed to be the headliner. Yeah, of that of the show that I'm talking about, it was uh, ended up being Presence, Armored Saint, and Metallica, and it was supposed to be Armored Saint, Metallica, Wasp. Right. So right. Wasp canceled for whatever reason. So Wasp had just gone through the territory. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. Anyway, so Randy uh, wore this shirt that I painted. And uh, after the show, this is the, this is the show that has all kinds of uh, controversy about the message James left on my mom's answering machine. It's the same show, February 21st, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Anyway, so we'll have to talk about that again sometime. It's a crazy story. So Randy's wearing that shirt that I painted around the venue, and I hadn't seen Randy all day, all, all week, right? Hey. And so he tells me the story the next day. It's like Kirk Hammett was out walking around in the crowd after the show, 
and he sees bumps into Randy and he sees the shirt and goes, James is going to want that. Don't let James see that <laughs> kind of a thing. Wow. So it's, I don't know, similar in some ways. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> that's that, you know, is that a dead art that, that, uh, fanboy thing where you make your own shirt? It's like, well, I don't have a wasp shirt or I don't have a metallic shirt. I'm going to make my own kick ass shirt and wear it to the show. No, I'm going to look like no one else. That's, that's a thing. That's a, yeah, that's like going to war. That's like I, your war paint. Right. I, that's your individualism. That's your individualism. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But back then it was kind of like you didn't have the Internet, so you couldn't just go online and order a wasp T-shirt like you had to buy it at the gig. Uh, I mean, bands didn't even have their own website or storefronts online. Yeah, I mean, there was no online. No, you went to the hippie store and bought concert shirts. or Yeah. Or you bought it at the gig. That's right. So what I would, you know. Yeah, I was making homemade shirts because I hadn't yet had a chance to see these bands in concert and buy a proper shirt at the venue. So if you wanted to show your allegiance to a band, you made your own shirt. And I think the shirt kind of thing, the the art of making your own shirts has kind of gone away. But the thing that I love seeing these days, and I don't think this will ever go away, is the homemade jackets. And I know you've got a few and I've got a few and that's where people get to kind of fly their freak flag. You know, it's like, check out my jacket, dude. It's very unique and individual to me. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's well known now that that's called battle jacket. Yeah. I call it, jacket. I call it the war hide. There you go. That's a good <laughs> one. I like that. Cause that's the name of your new metal band, right? <laughs> war hide. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I got a quick one for you, Shot of okay. Rock and Roll. Uh, very random, out of the blue. What is your favorite Rod Stewart song? That is almost impossible. <laughs> um, because I love the old, uh, you know, 70s. You know, in the 70s, I would go to the skating rink. And with, you know, maybe my brother, Randy, uh, maybe my older brothers, too. And, you know, <clears throat> the DJ there was would be spinning records and uh, he'd play Kiss and Elton and Alice and Rod Stewart and uh, early disco uh, and, um, you know, like mashups. Sometimes, uh, th you know, there would be mashups that they'd send out to radio stations and this DJ would have some of that stuff. And those were mainly the disco songs because they would uh, put all that stuff together so the DJ could have a bit of a break at a, at like a dance club, right? Well, yeah. you know, when you're 8, 9, 10 years old and you're at the skating rink, you're not thinking like that and you don't know what that is, but they're always, they were always fun. My point um, is Rod Stewart's hits were on AM radio and I would hear them at the... Uh, rolling rink yeah i wouldn't necessarily say i had a rod stewart record yet but uh you know maggie may was a big one and uh you know uh losing you was a big one um but i think i think i'm gonna go with uh you wear it well which is like this almost like hillbilly country thing when you think about it it's got it's got fiddle on it 
it's yeah. acoustics. It's acoustic vibe. It's very much like probably written the same within the same half hour that Maggie May was written because <laughs> it just feels like that. It's got acoustics, um, fiddle, it, you know, harmonica would fit right in there. It's very home cooking kind of, kind of but it's a rock song. It's a yeah. rock song. Yeah. It's got some punch. That's but you wear it well. It's been covered by many, many folk. That is a great song. Uh, Maggie Mae gets me every time. Oh, that yeah. song. Oh, my God. The, the, what a story, the story in that is incredible. And I swear, it's like that whole like British blues vibe that you know the Stones were all up into it. Rod was all up into it. Humble Pie was all up into it. And yeah. they wrote those kind of songs. And they were talking about you know, uh, the lyrics, Maggie May, are like a novel, and it's a three-minute song. Yeah. It's crazy. It's great. It's they great. They could have made a movie out of that song. It's like <laughs> The Red-Headed Stranger. They made a movie out of that. They could have made a movie out of Maggie May. Yeah. Just a boy that, meets girl kind of thing, right? That song gets me every time. I just got goosebumps just saying the title because yeah. it, it nails me every yes. time. It's such yeah. a great song. All right, but you're going with uh, You Wear It Well. Very good choice. That's a great one as well. So, all right, there we have it. Jason's favorite Rod Stewart song. All right. Today, uh, it's my favorite today. Rod song. Yeah, yeah. Hey. I'll ask you again tomorrow. We'll get okay. a different answer. Perfect. <laughs> oh, man, great topic today. I really enjoyed talking power ballads, and uh, a lot of good stuff came up. Um, that's going to do it for this episode of the Talk Louder podcast. A little reminder, we've got uh, T-shirts and coffee mugs on Cheers. our website, talklouderpodcast.com. You can go there and get your coffee mugs, T-shirts. Uh, again, leave us your comments. Leave us your likes on uh, YouTube and Facebook. Subscribe and uh, tell your friends they can follow us on iTunes and Spotify as well. Uh, that's going to do it for this go-around. I'm Metal Dave, my co-host Jason McMaster. We will see you next time on the Talk Louder podcast. 